0: From KBMR, Nevada City, this is Disability Rap. I'm Anna Acton, and I'm here with Carl Stigman, uh, who's my co-host with the show today. Welcome to our listeners across Nevada County and beyond. It's nice to be back on the air.
1: And we have a very special show for you today. Last month was the thirtieth anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act.
2: The Civil now, they
1: the the AU was a landmark civil rights law that affirmed the inherent dignity of every person, regardless of disability..
2: And we are spending the hour celebrating the ADA. It's a fix of people with
1: And today we are spending the hour celebrating the ADA, its effects on people with disabilities and all Americans, and its impact right here in Nevada County.
0: We have a roundtable of amazing guests, but before we introduce them and get the discussion going, we want to begin the show with words from Julie Hawker, Commissioner of the Administration on Disability, an agency within the Administration for Community Living of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Speaking on a recent webinar, Commissioner Hawker said,
3: We say that the ADA affirmed our rights as equal citizens of our great nation, and it did. But somehow affirm doesn't convey the power of the ADA for me. It flung open doors of opportunity. It gave all of us powerful tools to smash barriers and hit back hard against discrimination. With the ADA, the law of the land finally recognized our innate dignity and unique value of every single one of us. We have had many opportunities over the past couple of weeks to be reminded of the dedication, commitment, and hard work that led to the passage of the ADA.
1: We're continuing those We're celebrations with this episode of Disability We're Rap.
2: Joined We're joined
1: remotely by four guests.
2: All of whom have history with
1: all of whom have a rich history with the disability rights and independent living movements.
2: And so
0: I want to get started with introducing our guests. We have Gita Dardik with us. Uh, She and her husband, Sam, were lifelong residents and farmers here in Nevada County. And actually, um, growing up, encouragement of Ed Roberts, they helped to start Freed in the 1980s. The two of them traveled to Washington, D.C. to represent Freed and Nevada County at the signing of the ADA by President George H.W. Bush on July 26, 1990. We're honored to have you with us, Gita, and we look forward to you sharing some of your stories from the day from those years uh, with Freed and at the signing of the ADA. Sure, I'd be happy to. Welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It is great to have, you, you. With
2: great to have you with us. Mark Finick Mark is also with us. Mark One You see it.
1: Mark f- attended UC Berkeley th- in the early
2: seventies.
1: Graduating with a degree in invertebrate zoology.
2: After a brief at the University of Lab-
1: After a brief stint at the University of California Marine Laboratory the at the Bodega Bay, Bay,
2: he worked for the VA at He worked for the VA at various
1: hospitals and clinics for 31 years. Mark moved to Grass Valley in 2006.
2: And in
1: 2015. He joined the free board, where he now serves as chair.
0: So joining us from Oakland is Eddie E. Duarte, a producer with Pushing Limits Radio Collective at KPFA. Eddie served on the Oakland uh, Mayor's Commission on Persons with Disabilities and served for six years on the board of what is now Disability Rights California. Back then, it was known as Protection and Advocacy Incorporated. He's been producing disability-related content, content for Pushing Limits since 2003, and has also contributed content to El Tecalate in Oakland. Welcome, Eddie.
4: Thank you, it's good to be here, and I'm glad we're having this discussion.
2: And finally,
1: and finally, joining us from Topeka, Kansas, Amy Hightan is with us.
2: Amy is the executive the
1: Amy is the executive director of the Topeka Independent Living Resource Center.
2: She has been involved in great disability organizing for almost
1: She has been involved in grassroots disability organizing for almost a quarter of a century. As a member of ADAPT and with the Disability Rights Action Coalition in Housing. I attended several webinars Amy recently gave on disability history and the philosophy of the independent living movements. movements.
2: I and i
1: learned a ton
2: and want to
1: To bring her on the show to share that history and her perspective with our listeners here in Nevada County.
2: Welcome,
1: Welcome Amy.
5: Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Anna. Great. So, we're going to get right into some
0: questions. We're so glad to have you here. Such a diverse panel um, from from all over um, the United States, really. Anyways, uh, we wanted to get right into it. And, Gita, I want to start with you. Um, and just kind of to get the conversation going. So Gita, you are a founding member of FREED um, and this year we're celebrating um, FREED's 35th anniversary, actually, that was 35 years ago uh, that you and Sam and other community members um, brought um, uh, the organ, started organizing right here in Nevada County to uh, develop a peer run disability rights organization um, in our community, and we're also celebrating the 30th anniversary of the ADA. So the vision of Freed was five years before the ADA was passed. So can you take us back? What was it like living in Nevada County for Sam, your family,
3: you, before the ADA, and before Freed? Well, there weren't any disability rights at all. There was no blue curbs. There was no access into buildings. And they'd say things like, well, there's no one comes to my store. And we'd say, well, they can't. So that was something else. And we started Breed with a man named Tom Fee, who was wonderful and my husband, Sam, and me, and we started it, and it was very exciting. We had a board, a first board of directors, so there was nine members, George Elliott, who was deaf, Marilyn Beckwith, who was blind, Sam and me, Sam was a wheelchair user, and Al Dover was a lawyer in town, and he named it Freed, which has been the name that stuck with us all this time. And we went to the signing of the ADA in Washington, D.C., and it was so exciting. I was up next to Teddy Kennedy and George and Barbara Bush.
2: Good. We have a clip.
1: Gina, we actually have a clip from that, that day.
2: This is a clip of George H.W. Bush right before his son.
1: This is a clip of George H.W. Bush right before he signed the ADA into law.
6: Three weeks ago we celebrated our nation's Independence Day and today we're here to rejoice in and celebrate another Independence Day, one that is long overdue and with today's signing of the landmark Americans for Disabilities Act, every man, woman and child with a disability can now pass through once closed doors into a bright new era of equality, independence and freedom. And as I look around at all these joyous faces I remember clearly how many years of dedicated commitment have gone into making this historic new civil rights act a reality it's been the work of a true coalition a strong and inspiring coalition of people who have shared both a dream and a passionate determination to make that dream come true
3: and it was just thrilling and there were several hundred people there and they um were represented every disability i've never seen so many disabled people and it was really exciting and the um religious leader for the day had a no hands and that i thought that was really interesting
0: That is so exciting, Gita, that you were there to represent, you know, not only Nevada County, but really California at the signing of the ADA. Um, It must have been quite a memorable experience for you.
3: Totally memorable. I remember it, even though it's been 30 30 years, I remember it perfectly because it was this, they, they had a party for us after the signing. It was in the Senate office building, and they serve huge plates of shrimp. And I just was floored at the amount of shrimp we were offered. It was really fun. That
0: was so great. Um, I talked to your son, Caleb Dardick, who wanted me to ask you about the shrimp. So thank you for sharing that. So um, Gita once the ada was signed what did you see how did it change for nevada county what impact did it have um, having that civil rights law passed
3: um, well it provided accessibility in all forms of life really it was nothing had been accessible before then and then afterwards everything was accessible. accessible. So that was really exciting.
0: Well, thank you. We also have Mark here. Mark is the current um, uh, board chair at Freed. Um, I think I stumbled upon you, Mark, um, just by coincidence. And uh, you said, you know, um, I'd love to talk to you about the days in Oakland um, and in Berkeley. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about Ed Roberts. Uh, which really piqued my interest. Um, running into someone in Nevada County, right, who um, knew some of the, the, founding, uh, fa- the founding father, Ed Roberts of the Independent Living Movement, and some of the really important people that helped not only lead up to the signing of the ADA, but also um, really have been players in advancing uh, the civil rights of people with disabilities.
3: So we knew Ed Roberts too. In fact, it was Ed's influence that turned into Freed.
0: What was the, how did you, do you recall meeting Ed Roberts and how that transformed into Freed, Gita?
3: Yeah, definitely. He was very exciting and he told us that we should have an organization and do something with our disabilities. So that got us started. He was totally instrumental in getting Freed started. Awesome. Because he was such an exciting person. <laughs> yeah. He spent his time in an iron lung and smoked pot. The person who helped him would um hold the pot for him.
0: Does this sound familiar, Mark?
7: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I met Ed shortly after I got to Berkeley, um, person who became my best friend, Robert Metz. I met at the Physically Disabled Students Program and uh, he took me out for a ride around the campus in his golf cart. We stopped over at Ed's house. So I met Ed's mother, Zona, who's just a fantastic woman who is still alive, by the way. She, I think she just turned 100. Um, and I met Ed and he was in his iron lung at the time. And uh, I just talked with him a little bit about how do we get around on campus, Uh, talked to his mother about how do I get into classes. Um, The Physically Disabled Students Program also found me a place to live. They had a brand new student uh, apartment building that I managed to get a studio apartment in. So they they were great about helping me. Um, Ed was obviously brilliant and um I think I won't tell you about some of the things but uh I <laughs> he, he he was he was an amazing person as were so many other people that I that I knew there.
3: Yeah and I know Ed's mother also she was amazing. Yeah Donna. She was just great,
7: and she took care of all of us uh, all of us kids really, as she called us kids very well. She got us registered for our classes and listened to our sad stories and uh, you know, uh, I think she even called the police to help get uh, one of the folks from Cal Hospital out of the middle of strawberry creek uh, dot. <laughs> Yeah, Donald Lawrence managed to get himself stuck stuck there like one of the first days he got to Berkeley. Um, like stuck in a
0: wheelchair? You. Like in a creek? Or what are yeah, we talking
7: about? Yeah, he'd never had a power wheelchair until he got to Berkeley. And uh, he'd been stuck in his parents' home like most of his life. So it was like sudden freedom for him. And uh, he got brought back to Cal Hospital by the, uh, by the police at about 2 o'clock in the morning and they brought him in and said does this does this belong to you (laughs) so that was some interesting days back then what can i say
2: yeah and i want to bring Amy.
1: yeah and i want to bring amy in here now
2: and Amy, I have
1: a two-part question for you.
2: The first part is on
1: the personal, the on the personal end. Could you
2: talk to me about how you go involved in could
1: you talk a bit about how you got involved in disability advocacy and tell us a bit about yourself? And then the second part is.
2: Hearing from Mark and Gita is a little bit.
1: Could you please put what we're hearing from Mark and Gita in a little context?
2: What more is like for people with disabled people? Before the before 504 with disabilities before the ADA and before,
1: 504 before, the ADA the and before section five oh four of the Rehab Act.
2: But if you could begin
1: But if you could begin with your own story.
5: Um, yeah, so actually it was really interesting hearing sort of both, uh, you know, both of those perspectives coming in into this. Um, you know, I, um, I grew up, I actually graduated high school in 1990 when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. Um, and so I, um, through my sort of young adulthood and college career, um, had, um, a number of jobs, but most significantly, um, I had a job at a a group home with a, a large group home provider in Kansas. And it was in a time when the state was closing down a lot of our large bed institutions for folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities and moving them into these group home settings. And it was this very, you know, these, these providers thought of themselves as being very progressive. You know, they were putting people in the least restrictive environment. You know, they were only living with seven unrelated other individuals. Um, And, and I worked at this place for a while, but I, I kept saying like, you know, uh, here I am, I'm in my early twenties. I'm working with people who are 30, 40, 50, 70 years old, who've lived their entire lives in institutions or are now in this different institution. And I kept saying, you know, man, come on, you know, there's got to be a better way, right? I mean, this, this can't be it for us. We we can surely do better. Um, Eventually, I decided to go to law school and um, applied actually for the the agency that I work for now, uh, used to have a legal department um, and uh, that sort of worked behind the protection and advocacy agency for our state. Um, and I managed the very first day of law school, I managed to get a job here uh, as a law clerk and I I tell people the story a lot. So the, the first thing that happened is I get my first case assignment, and it is a woman who lives in a community in Kansas, and she lives literally on one side of the railroad tracks, but every public service she needs, the grocery store, city hall, the post office, everything is on the other side of that railroad track, but there's no sidewalk and she uses a scooter and so she's literally trapped in her own home because there, because there are no sidewalks in this community. Um, and so the lawyer that I worked for at the agency said, you know, Amy, go, go do this research. Um, and so I went to the law school and I, you know, did, you know, the, the research thing. And literally, I tell people, literally, when I went to the library at the law school, there was one shelf of disability law books. That was it, one, like not the, not one bookshelf, but one shelf within a bookshelf. And that was the sum total of all the disability treatises that they had. And so I, it was like, well, okay. So, I mean, it's just one shelf. And so I literally began at one end and read my way every single page through to the far end of every single one of those books i just treated them as if they were like the harry potter series right and so read all the way through came back to the office you know 3 days later and said to the lawyer like like what the hell <laughs> like like this isn't this isn't an ada thing like this is something that these people should have been working on since 1973 you know, I was born in 1972 the fact that we have places in Kansas where folks are trapped in their homes because we don't have sidewalks completely inexcusable um and so you know and so it's fantastic here because you know cuz you know that's that was Ed's story right where um you know he he goes to college and and he's you know you're trapped okay well you have to live in this place you have to live in the infirmary in order to go to college you have to um, and it's, and it's our story, you know, sort of time and time again, um, even though we, we have these laws that start and, and listening, to, uh, you know, sort of this, the birth story of free, the same kind of thing where we had these laws and these resources from the 1970s, but they really didn't seem to sort of pick up steam um, and, and get the, the wind under them that they needed until the Americans with Disabilities Act um, came along. So, you know, so yeah, so a lot of the stories that I mean, you know, just a lot of the things that folks have talked about before really do resonate in terms of the history of independent living and the the history of disability rights um, is it's it's a very, it's a very long story um, of a lot of people placed into boxes or closed off behind walls or limited to where they could live, whether it was an infirmary or a working farm. Um, I've actually been, been f- fascinated. I, I discovered this when I was um, sort of working on the, the Nickel, the National Council on Independent Living stuff. And since then, I've actually located other places uh, around the country where you know people with intellectual and developmental disabilities or people with mental health disabilities were placed in these settings that would seem to be on one hand sort of bucolic, right? Home-like, farm, lots of land and green space around you. But those individuals were literally forced to work the land. Mm-hmm. They were their own fire department. They were these, in, placed in these self-contained areas far away from anyone else. Shuttled off and sort of left um, to their own devices. And to me, that is always, to me, that is probably one of the most apt metaphors (laughs) for, um, you know, sort of how society has treated people with disabilities and the strength and the resilience that people with disabilities have shown, um, you know, across generations um, with the ability to, you know, sort of find our way. Uh, and survive in a world that
2: wasn't built for us. Yeah, thank you. So
1: yeah, thank you so much.
2: It is so important that we highlight those.
1: It is so important stories. that we highlight those stories.
2: I feel that. Of us in I
1: feel that those of us who work in independent lives, living,
2: we hear, those stories, all we hear the time, those stories all the time, but I think it is so important but I think it
1: is so important to highlight those stories for our listeners.
2: So thank
1: you. So thank you.
2: I want to bring into...
1: I want to bring even into the conversation.
2: You tell me that you want to count there you
1: Eddie, you tell me that you went to Cal State LA and you got politicized Bay there before NBA. moving up to the Bay Area
2: Could you share a bit of your story and what? The
4: Could you
1: share a bit of your story and what the ADA and independent living movement has meant
4: to you? Thank you, Carl. Um, Yeah, um, so I wasn't really too politically involved. Um, I knew I had a disability. I was aware of it. I was conscious of it. I had polio at a year and a half. Um, right now, I use um, two crutches and a brace, um, and I'm 75 years old. Um, so, but luckily around 1970, I went to Cal State LA to to uh, study to be a teacher, oddly enough. Um, that then turned out too good, but I was lucky enough to be involved and got to know some very progressive, uh, mostly Latino activists who were, you know, some were socialists and some were quite progressive. And um, so I think that was my real education began with those individuals. Um, I started doing some Political-oriented work around the campus, Cal State LA. I worked there, and it was just a very good learning experience and an introduction to me to do, be involved in community slash political work. So I moved um, from there. I moved to the Bay Area since I've been I've been up here ever since the mid '70s. Uh, meantime, I saw the growth of the disability awareness and and movement. Um began in Berkeley but it could begin it could have begin, begun in other um, cities. there's nothing magical about Berkeley um, it could have begun in T- Topeka New York City or whatever so luckily enough it came near me in Berkeley I became conscious as a as a person with a disability and started um, being aware of issues and, and problems affecting the disability community and uh, 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 I began um working with the I, I got a spot on the Merits Commission with people with disabilities around the mid 90s and that sort of um impelled me um to do disability work and so and all in all I ended up um be, being on Pushing Limits radio program on KPFA which is one of the five Pacifica uh radio network Stations from the Pacifica Network in the country KPFA, and we are called pushing limits. And by hey. and your other the other question about the ADA, Um, and 504 and those um, achievements, um, I strongly, strongly believe that those things don't happen because of the goodwill of politicians or bureaucrats, but what really gives it the force is our work as the work of the disability community itself. And these great things wouldn't happen if it wasn't because of our efforts collectively.
0: Well, thank you so much, Eddie, for for mentioning that. you know, and this is kind of a question for any of you that want to weigh in. Um, You know, it's interesting to me um, when I talk to people uh, with significant disabilities even today um, and throughout my career, the biggest barrier that individuals will say that they experience is the stigma and discrimination. Um, And so, you know, we can pass laws like the ADA, right? that guarantee equal access and rights for us. But it doesn't necessarily change the heart of the nation, I guess I would say, or um, the way that people see disability. Um, Can one of you speak to that about how do you make real societal change? I mean, we're in the middle of um, a racial justice movement that's happening right here, right? And I see a lot of parallels uh, with any civil rights movement, right? How do we get to a point where, you know, uh, we actually, society sees people with disabilities differently.
3: Well, Sam Dardick was definitely a go-getter. This is an example. We went out to dinner and um, in Nevada City, and there was no accessibility to the bathroom we didn't know what to do because he couldn't get in so he got out of his chair onto the floor and crawled to the bathroom and later i wrote it up i was a professional writer and i wrote it up and it did very well that article because it was just so shocking but i think that my husband was very active and didn't put up with stuff. So he really taught people a lot about disability.
0: That is a great example. And it reminds me too, you know, Amy, uh, there was the Capitol crawl that happened, right? And it's like, how was people getting out of their wheelchairs physically, right, and, and crawling up the Capitol, an important piece in the passage of the ADA,
5: You know, it's like I tell people that if there had not been, if if we had not learned that the drama of lunch counter sit-ins or the visual image of people being, having fire hoses turned on them when they were peacefully assembling, if we don't have the groundwork of those racial justice movements, then we don't have the Capitol Crawl. Uh, you know and and so the combined courage and creativity of people like Sam and the understanding that that that, that imagery that, that you know that, that ingenuity is something that can be harnessed to create collective power that's what you know that's what builds the power behind um, the, the the 504 You know, the 504 takeovers in San Francisco, the Capitol crawl, quite frankly, those of us who were there getting dragged out of the hall, out of Mitch McConnell's office in 2016 and 2017. You know, the disability rights movement has built on the shoulder and the framework that has been established for us by racial justice movements um, in dramatizing the severity. Um, that we experience when these barriers are are allowed to continue to exist. When we have to crawl to the bathroom, you know, when we have to scramble upstairs on our hands and knees. It's an unfairness that society can can actually touch. It's tangible.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Amen.
2: Mm. Oh Oh. Listeners who may not be familiar with the 504 takeover or the.
1: And for our listeners who may not be familiar with the 504 takeover or capital crawl.
2: Or even. The protest for Medicaid, a few years
1: ago. or even the protest for Medicaid a few years ago.
2: Could you just give a boy a new Could you just give a
1: bird's-eye-view sketch of those direct actions
2: and what they
1: they meant for our movement?
7: Well, just to step back in time, some of the things that I noticed when I first arrived in Berkeley, I went down Telegraph Avenue past a mom-and-pop store with a big sign right in front of the door that said no wheelchairs. And this, this is one of the most progressive cities in the world, and they were allowed to have signs that said no wheelchairs. And this is also after Ed and John and all the folks had gone to city council and worked their tails off to get things done. You know, they were out there, they had some of the attendants were pouring asphalt on curbs to make their own curb cuts. Um, It's a long, hard road. The 504, the Capitol Crawl, all of those types of things. They get attention. Uh, I'll just put it in plain language. One of the things you want to do is shame our public officials and embarrass them so that all the world can see just how obstructionist that they are. that's a start. The environment that we find ourselves in now it seems that people are proud of being obstructionists and I don't know how we fight that but that's that's one of the things that we need to uh, to address. Um, also in my time at Berkeley I had the good fortune which I wouldn't be able to deal with now of seeing a half a dozen protests close-up protests for the Vietnam War. Uh, I lived on Telegraph and Haste, which was a half a block away from where most of the action was. I know very well what tear gas will do to you because I got tear gas more times than I can remember. It's just amazing to me that even today, people who are out trying to peacefully protest subjected to the same kinds of things that I saw firsthand way back in the early 70s in Berkeley being attacked with nightsticks and tear gas and it, it's just it's just incredible I don't know if this helps but uh, it, it, it's something that stuck with me for a long time one of the other things I would say too that uh, from my own personal experience. Prior to going to Berkeley, I had very little to do with any other disabled people. When I got to Berkeley, got in with the Physically Disabled Students Program, I was surrounded with people of so many different, diverse types of disabilities. And it opened my eyes and it made me lose a lot of the shame that I had for looking like such a spectacle when when I was walking on my crutches and the like. It taught me that I wasn't the only disabled person who had a brain. And I wasn't the only person who had experienced having to have my mother go to bat for me to get me back into public school after I had polio, Ed went went through the same thing before my time. So um, we just have to persist. You have to just keep after them, use whatever tools you can find. Um,
0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you for sharing that. That, That's powerful. I have a question for Eddie, but I just wanna take a moment, Amy, if you could just briefly for those that are listening Um, What was the 504 sit-in and what was the capital crawl?
5: So so the 504 sit-in, I had mentioned earlier that there was this whole body of law that predated the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that was a law that was passed, thanks in large part to the work from you all in California and Ed Roberts, um, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. And so we got a lot of things from that, independent living centers, we got um, education, educational parity, vocational rehabilitation services. The idea being in that piece of federal legislation that if there were federal dollars being used, those federal dollars ought to give equal opportunities to young people and older people with disabilities, the same as other people benefited from those programs, like our schools, for example. Well, the the law got passed. um, But as we know, laws don't actually, laws are nice, they're fancy, they're big ideas. But laws don't actually mean anything until the regulations that implement and enforce those laws are written. And so in the the, um, 504 sit-in, what had happened was the law had been passed But the person responsible for making those regulations had not done their job. They were sort of languishing. And so a group of disabled activists decided that they would visit his office and wait him out. And wait him out, they did. It is, to this day, it was the longest longest occupation of a federal office building in the history of our country. And it was done by a group led, organized, run by a group of people with disabilities in, and supported in very large part by the Black Panthers. And then, so then the, the uh, Capitol Crawl, um, again, the similar, it should be a sort of, it, it may seem like it's a recurring theme. I think Mark touched on it, you know, um, read a story about Sam is that you know, people with disabilities time and time again, we encounter barriers. Um, and so in 1989, 1990, the barrier was our landmark civil rights legislation was literally sort of in the final days or should have been in its final days for passage um, to say you know, people with disabilities should have access to all aspects of community life and for what and for whatever reason the bill had encountered a barrier it wasn't moving forward and so a group of activists got together and um decided that they would all dramatically crawl up the steps to the capitol with the press there with the cameras rolling and you know create the visual image um, of the barrier and our willingness to literally drag our bodies across um, these stairs to overcome these barriers, and so they're just two significant protests. Um, you know, sort of in you know, again, much, much like, um, much like many of the seminal protests in the in the in the civil rights movement. Thank you,
0: Eddie. I, I want to kind of bring you back into the conversation. And 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 ask you, you know, we're talking a lot about um, kind of this, this our, our history in, in the disability rights movement, our history of direct action, of civil disobedience, um, and here we are, right, in 2020, with the racial justice movement that we're seeing. What can we learn from the disability rights movement for 2020, and with our our work? For, for social and racial justice?
4: Look, I learned not so much from working with people with disabilities, um, mm-hmm. the activists I, I referred to earlier, but um, but these are basically mostly non-disabled. So I, I, I think the important thing is to, um, for me, is to, um, to talk and learn from and work with people that have good progressive politics. I think the current, the current um, uh, drive by Black Lives Matter and folks who support them um, are an inspiration. Should be an inspiration to us, especially to younger people with disabilities. I think we should know, um, try to understand what it's about. Uh, if there are any flaws in that movement, then um, let's be critical of them. Let's be discriminating again uh, about that, and in the same way, let's be be discriminating about our own movement and our and where we should go, um, what we should do. Um, so um, I think it's just keep being open, um, and um, and certainly learning not only from the Black lives. Uh, matter movement, but other progressive movements. Let's be aware of what's happening internationally. Let's. How about wars? Wars create disability. Do we want to have? Uh, should should we, as pro- progressive people with disabilities, oppose wars that we have not agreed to in the past, like what happened to Iraq? So I think. Um, I, I think we. Just generally speaking, we should read and be aware of of the different politics that go on, not only in our country, but internationally. Um, So those are just some few scattered thoughts.
0: Thank you so much, Eddie. And I'm just going to ask one last question of any of you that would like to answer this before we wrap it up. But imagine we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the ADA. What would you say? Where are we as a movement? As, as, as a nation, where are we with the 40th anniversary of the ADA we accomplished?
4: I'll start briefly. This is Eddie. Thank um, you. ADA was the beginning. It's up to us to follow through and make it work. This is Mark. And uh, as
7: I had uh, talked with Carl about a couple of weeks ago, the ADA is a good start. It's been a long, hard road getting to that point, And I'm afraid it's gonna be a long, hard road from this point on. Uh, it brought to the attention a lot of the things that disabled people live with and need from society. And we just need to keep, keep after it to let ourselves be seen, which actually is a huge thing that has happened with, with disabled people. It was a long period in history where we were invisible. Uh, They even had laws keeping us from being on the streets. So that's a huge change. It's a very positive change, but we have to keep after it.
5: Um, In my world, my ideal ADA nirvana is um, we have eliminated the institutional bias so that congregate living and congregate services or services and living provided in those types of settings are the exception, not the rule. That guardianship is nearly, if not completely eliminated so that people can self-actualize, use supported decision-making and be as self-determining as possible. And parenting with a disability becomes receives parity, and the respect and the honor that it deserves. Wonderful. Well,
0: thank you all so much. I really appreciate your time today and joining us on Disability Wrap. Uh, thank you, Gita Dardik, uh, for joining Amy Heighton, Mark Benicle, and Eddie Duarte for uh, joining us today on Disability Rap. And thank you to all of you, our listeners, and we'll be back next month with more of Disability Rap.